You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. That's a great word, that last line of that song, In the Cross, Be My Glory Ever. And um, it's good to kind of pause and meditate on some of these things in light of uh, circumstances that you face and things that together as a church that we're going through. And, and, you know, it's important as we consider in this year one of the big things that God has put on the agenda for us as a church is what are you going to do with that property on McGillivray Boulevard? And um, if, if there's ever a notion or a thought that would suggest that we glory in budgets and buildings... Uh, <laughs> I'm out of here. We have to run from that idea. I don't know anybody in leadership that thinks that way. We don't glory in that. We glory in the cross. And uh, <laughs> whatever program, whatever Whatever uh, staff we have, whatever um, building we worship in and so on, it, if, if the substance of that is not the cross and what Jesus has done to transform lives, then, then pack your bags, friends, because church is over. That's it. The legacy that we pass on to the next generation might might include a new building for the next 27 years, like this one served for the last 27 years. But the substance of the building has to be the ministry of the cross, or else we're passing on really nothing. So, so as we talk and pray and fellowship around this theme this year, it's, not a, it's a very spiritual theme. The, the, the reason we put this yellow insert in your bulletin this week is because we're coming up to some important meetings and dates, and uh, we really want to hear from everybody. You don't have to put your name on this. We just want to hear from you if there's a question or a comment. Um, we want you to know that if you feel a little bit in the dark on uh, where things are at, that's okay, because uh, there hasn't been a lot of light shed yet. And um, we're praying for that. In fact, um, one of the ways that light gets shed is as we actually start to pray together and talk together about it. So it's very important that you voice what God has put on your heart, what's on your mind. Uh, so you can either hand this into the ushers or one of us, or you can go on the webpage as well. There's a place called Building Program Inquiries. You can just put your thoughts on that as well. But it's important. Uh, no one is rushing ahead without you. No one is rushing ahead without you. We are, we are going to know the leading of God as a church, or we're not going to know it together as a church. And um, so in the coming weeks tonight, you have an opportunity to come to our annual meeting to hear not only the wonderful things that God's done in 2014 and in other ways, but to hear reports and updates on where things are at, uh, some things you need to know. Next week, we have this roundtable kind of discussion at the Family Meal and Seminary. We're going to have the leadership of all these committees at tables spread out. 
we're going to have a chance to hear from them and, you, and, and them to hear from you. Um, in early March, we're going to be handing out and giving you a case statement, which is the, the, the most solid vision of what we believe God's leading us into that we can have. It's going to be just a, a, a few pages of paper that's going to define what we think God is leading us to do. That's a really important thing. It's being worked on right now. And uh, it's early March. In, in early May, the North American Baptist Foundation is going to be with us for a while, and they're going to be conducting interviews, a random sampling as well as some specific leadership sampling and so on. And if you want to sign up for that, you can even be part of that, even if you're not chosen to be part of that sampling, because we want to hear from everybody. And uh, the NAB Foundation is going to do that, and then they're going to report back to us on, on the basis of what they hear and so on, they project, they're going to say, yeah, you guys, you, we think this is, this is definitely what, what the Lord's leading you. Or they're, they're going to raise some flags. And they're going to say, we have concerns. And you know, it's all part of this discernment process that God has us in. And so uh, nothing to be afraid of. I believe that Jesus Christ is the shepherd of this church and he's going to lead us. And I feel as though he's kind of hemmed us in because we have to make a decision this year about that. And so would you just pray with us? And would you be part of the process? And uh, if there's things we're missing, if there's things we're overlooking, maybe you're not, and maybe we need to hear from you. So I encourage you to fill out this yellow piece of paper or go online or, and come to these uh, meetings that we're planning. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and, and at the end I'm going to lead in the Lord's Prayer. So would you join me when we begin the Lord's Prayer together and conclude together? Let's pray. Lord, it is a very comforting and assuring thing to know that it is well with our souls. We've just sung it. We can only sing that because of the cross. We can only sing that because of the gospel, because of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, you, the shepherd of this church. And Lord, it is well with our souls and it is, it is well with this church because we have determined that you, you are the chief shepherd, Lord, here. And we want to follow your voice. We want to follow your ways. We believe that you are leading us into this next generation and, and we believe we want to leave a legacy of faith for them to follow on the faith of substance that is based on the cross and glories in it. And Lord, I pray, we pray together that, that we would have ears to hear you and, and courage and faith to follow you, whatever that looks like. And Lord, more, more than all that, even perhaps we even would just pray for unity of the Holy Spirit in us and among us, Lord. Unity of the Spirit so that the world might know, Jesus, that you're real. Uh, so we ask for that. Lord, we, we thank you for the grace that you pour out on us week by week. And we pray that in the coming weeks, Lord, we will be especially sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your incredible ministry and the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit upon us that passes on to us all the things that you taught your disciples and more uh, because of the, the living presence of your Spirit in our midst. Thank you, Jesus. And now we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 We've been in the chapter, first chapters of First Samuel these last few weeks, and we've been introduced to various interesting people. And perhaps you've been able to identify with a, a few of them. Maybe, maybe as we've talked, you identify with Hannah, the woman who was barren and, and asked the Lord for a child, and she, she met her in her need. Or maybe you identified with her husband, Elkanah, who, who just watched her loved one suffer through some stuff and, and just wanted to support her through her grief. Or maybe you identify with the prophet Eli, or the priest Eli in the temple and, and, and having a difficult time knowing how to uh, address his sons who were not walking with the Lord and so on. Or maybe it was Samuel himself that you identify with, that, 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 that you're, you're growing up as well, and you know that in, in your life there's the presence of God, but there's also around you the presence of evil, and maybe you identify with, with Samuel. But maybe, maybe you even identify with Eli's sons, the other characters that we've been meeting in these chapters. You know, someone said that when you read the Bible, don't just identify with the good guys. Identify with the bad guys. We're all more alike than we are different, aren't we? And so this morning, as we look at the scriptures, we're going to be uh, looking at three paradigms of leadership, and we could call it three paradigms of discipleship because really leadership and discipleship are, are really two sides of the same coin. J. Oswald Saunders in his famous book, Spiritual Leadership, says that leadership is essentially influence. It's this, it's this idea that saying, you're going to put your life under the influence of certain things, and then you're going to take that influence and you're going to pour it out on others in your, in your life. And we see Samuel in his, in his leadership, in his, his, he says, say, I'm going to let, let the influence of God be upon me, and I'm going to let him flow through me to others. So the three people that we're going to look at today are going to teach us some things about influence. It's very interesting, you know, last night we were at this uh, sports banquet, the Fellowship Hockey League and uh, that George uh, has served so long for, and um, Trevor Jones was uh, sharing from the Blue Bombers, and uh, the chaplain, Lauren, was, was there as well. And, and, and Lord made a, Lauren made a statement that I thought was really worthy of repeating. He said, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. That's about influence, isn't it? Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And would you stand with me as if you're able to and listen to God's word read to us? We'll begin in verse 12 and read to verse 26. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. It was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. 
He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of this young men was great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by the woman to take the place of the one prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home, and and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not good. It's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. May God bless his word to us today. You may be seated. There's an ancient Eastern parable about a wealthy merchant who undertook a lengthy journey in which he had to carry valuable jewels with him along the journey. And along the way, a traveler befriended him, making it look like it was merely a chance meeting, while really his motive was to steal the precious stones. At the end of each day, when they arrived together at the local inn, they would share a room for the night, and as was the custom, each of them would receive a mat, a pillow, a wash basin, and a towel. The merchant, being suspicious of his new friend's motives, devised a scheme to safeguard his valuables. Before they turned in for the night, he would offer the would-be thief the first spot at washing up, and while he was out of the room, he would hide the bag of precious stones under this man's pillow. And then when it was his turn to go to the washroom, the thief immediately went searching through the rich man's bags under his pillow everywhere and found nothing. Finally, on the last day of their travels together, the rich man told his roommate that he knew about his evil intent and why he couldn't find anything. It was because the valuable stones were always under his pillow and that the wealth was nearer than he had thought. Ravi Zacharias tells this story in his book called Deliver Us from Evil. And he draws a lesson for it, from it out of a, for the, us in the West that we have turned away from our historical values and answers on questions about life and God and we have searched under other cultural pillows and other philosophical and religious pillows to find the real treasure. I think that analogy describes what we look at in Judges and Samuel. The condition of Israel during that time They had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They had been blessed by God with the law, the tabernacle, the priesthood, and all the ways that God would dwell among them. They had been given victory enough to be able to dwell in the promised land, even though some 
of the Canaanite tribes still lived there. And yet, after the death of Joshua, with each passing generation, instead of finding in their own presence, the very under their own pillow, as you would say, the very treasure of God in Shiloh at the temple, instead they went looking under other cultural pillows, other places for that treasure. And the Canaanite peoples were a snare to them. And they wandered far away from the Lord. In the opening pages of 1 Samuel, we are introduced to a couple of priests who might be called just a product of their time. I mean, just the product of the time. Uh, Time that was characterized by having no king and everybody doing what was right in his own eyes. That was what characterized the time. I want you to know that none of us ever need to be a product of our time. That's the gospel. None of us need to be a product of all the influences that surround us. And you see, the thing that's interesting is that the thing that's interesting about doing what is right in your own eyes is that actually you end up behaving just like everybody else around you in your culture. Doing right in your own eyes sounds like a very postmodern be true to yourself kind of message. The deception of it is, though, that those who pursue this course end up looking very much alike each other. They may venture out under the banner of self-actualization and autonomy, but in the end they leave themselves open to simply being influenced by those around them. That's funny, isn't it? Autonomous, even. The word autonomous, auto, self, namus, the law, a law to yourself. It's, It's... the, the core value of North America. Be true to yourself. Fulfill yourself. Every individual is a self-determining, independent of authority kind of person. Mor- morality imposed from the outside is resisted. Intuition from the inside is esteemed. Follow your heart. Fulfill yourself. I am a rock. I am an island. I did it my way. Package it however you want to. The message at the bottom of, of it is all rebellion against God. It's not a hard concept to understand. You see, sin, which is the dominating force in me and in the world around me, is always going to produce the same product. And so sinners end up looking very much the same. And similarly, you can live by the dominating force of the Holy Spirit of God through the Lordship of Christ in your life. And in the same principle those that are going to live that way are going to come out looking the same. They're going to look like Christ. The Spirit will produce just one product. The flesh will just produce the same, another product. But there won't be a difference. There's an incredible consistency to worldliness. And there's an incredible consistency to true spiritual faith. We read about a perverted paradigm of leadership that is exemplified in Shiloh by the sons of Eli. It says in chapter 2, verse 12, they were wicked men, sons of Belial. They looked out only for themselves. They forced people to give the best of the sacrifice, even though the law of Moses had restrictions on what they could eat. They were greedy. They were lazy. They were, in verse 22, sleeping with women at the entrance of the tent of meeting where it was either an absolute duplication of the Canaanite temples or they were actually just taking women that were, were actually servants of the tabernacle and they were just exploiting them and using their authority wrongly. In verse 23, their father Eli confronts them. 
But he's in his 90s. He's blind almost, and he's not in touch with what his sons have done with the leadership of the tabernacle. He hears reports, and verse 24, he says, it's not good, and so on. He confronts it. Verse 25, it says that his sons did not listen to their father. And it says at the end of that verse that it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Before you stumble over that phrase, know this, that the sad state of these priests was due to the hardening of their own hearts. In other words, they had, they had resisted God so, so far, so long, that they were actually now, by God, being given over to the very thing that they wanted most. There's passages of scripture that describe this. Pharaoh is another example. The sons of Eli are an example. Romans chapters 1 and 2 talk about this same principle. Hebrews chapter 6 as well. You see, it's, it's an incredibly scary thing to know that you can resist God so long that eventually you could get to the point where God finally says, okay, you can have what you want. And he gives you over to it. There's nothing scarier than that. To me, one of the most disturbing things I've ever witnessed or heard is the foolish, careless words or actions of someone who does not know that they're trampling on holy things. Late night comedians and people that are stupidly, ignorantly mocking the God that made them and and the one they will answer to. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Disregard for the holy things of God are seen in this passage, chapter 4, which we'll look at next week. It comes to fruition. You see, in chapter 4, Israel is going out to battle, and they lose the battle against the Philistines. And they figure that this iconic Ark of the Covenant that the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas are taking care of at Shiloh, that that's going to be their good luck charm. That somehow they can manipulate the God of heaven and they can take this box where the presence of their God dwells and they can use it as some good luck charm and march against their enemies and win. But they, they lose the battle. And the Ark of the Covenant is stolen and, and the two sons of Eli lose their lives. This is an example of perverted leadership. We might say gone bad, an extreme case. Unfortunately, world history and world news today show that there's a lot of examples of perverted leadership. The second paradigm of leadership we see in, in the person of Eli. We'll call it people-pleasing leadership. An old Chinese proverb says that if you want to know what water is like, don't ask a fish. Because a fish knows nothing but water. He is submerged in it and there's no other existence that he knows possible. Similarly, we could say that Eli, the priest, in the days of the judges, immersed in a godless, self-serving culture, a people who had forgotten that they were a covenant people and had a covenant God. After 90 years or more of walking this way, Eli had perhaps allowed his convictions to slide, like the proverbial frog that, that boils in the, in the pot because the temperature rises incrementally so slowly. Eli, throughout the ages, had gotten so soft on conviction. 
He stopped seeing some of the sins of the people as abnormal and reprehensible. He had imperceptibly been absorbed into the culture to the point where his priestly and his prophetic voice was muted. He no longer had a voice. And where we see him lose the voice first is in his very own home. We read in verses 22 to 25 that he loses his voice first in his home as he confronts his two sons and pleads with them to not be wicked. And it says they did not heed their voice of their father. John Maxwell writes this. He says, if your leadership does not work at home, don't export it. a very sad situation. Verses 27 and following, a man of God visits Eli and he warns him. He tells him that judgment's coming. Verse 29, it says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? You see, he had become a people-pleasing priest. Why do you honor your sons more than me? Is what is laid against him. Sheds light on it too for us because we can imagine that the priest Eli was, was now out of the direct leadership and, and, and now was, was showing up at the dinner table perhaps with his sons and their families and, and he, was, he was looking at what was on his plate and he was asking his questions, where did such good meat come from? Why is the choicest of meats on our plates every day? And at first, maybe he raised the matter and, and questioned why the priests were doing this, but soon it just got easier to just not stir the pot. It got easier not to, to bother things, and he just stopped raising the matter. It kept the peace in the home around the dinner table. Chapter 3.13, the Lord sends a message through, the, through Samuel, and he says, I told him I would judge his family because of the sin that he knew about His sons made themselves contemptible, but he failed to restrain them. You see, Eli was just too weak. Eli was just lacking the courage. It was easier to say nothing and do nothing and and keep the peace. You know, friends, I want to tell you, if you have not faced an Eli moment yet, you will. If you have not faced the same thing that Eli has faced, you will if you're going to follow the Lord. Every one of us at some point in time will be faced with the problem Eli was faced with. The circumstances and the people will be different. The faith test will be the same. The question you will be faced with is, will you live to please God and possibly be very unpopular with family or friends? And maybe even lose some of those people in your life. Will you live to please God and be under His influence? Or will you live to please people around you? It's so easy to follow the road of least resistance. And in the end, Eli loses both things precious to him. Both the Ark of the Covenant and his sons. Can you think of a time when you were had to resist people-pleasing when 
the influence of others overtook the influence of God upon you? I mean, if we really think about it, friends, there's, there's many. There's many times we come to those crossroads. I was looking a few weeks ago in my journal, and I, was, I found a place in September of the 4th of 1982. I was a pastor. I was age 23. And I write this in my journal. I have identified in me the very real tendency to be a people pleaser, always wanting to be exalted in the eyes of others. I must learn to differentiate between the Lord's expectations of me and that of those around me. (laughs) I was 23. And looking back, I can see how, how many times in the last 30 years Uh, Over and over again, I have been brought up to a moment of decision. Who are you going to please? Samuel Samuel is an example of one that is one that uh, pleased the Lord. And it's the third paradigm of leadership, the prophetic leader. Um, We observed it last week. We take a look at it again this week, but it's in chapter 2. You'll notice over and over again, the writer goes back to Samuel in between all the evil that's going on. He goes back to Samuel. Verse 11, he ministered before the Lord. Verse 18, verse 21, he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, he grew up in stature and favor with the Lord. Verse 23, verse 1, he ministered before the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 11, he's he's saying, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And in chapter 3, verse 19, a, a summary, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. He let none of his words fall to the ground, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. This is an incredible passage. Samuel here is an example of a prophetic voice and a prophetic leadership. A young man that was more eager to have the influence of God be upon him and saturate him so much that that he would automatically be an influence. Notice the incredible difference between the reputation of the sons of Eli and the reputation of Samuel. From Dan to Beersheba, it says, he is attested. Everybody knows this guy takes God seriously and he passes on what he gets. What an incredible example. Like you and I, Samuel had grown up in the presence of God and in the presence of evil. We all are in the same place. We are in this world and not to be of this world. And we have choices daily that we make as to the the, the people we hang out with, the, the things we do with our time, Positively and negatively. And all of it is shaping whatever influences are coming upon our lives. In the fourth century, St. Augustine, he was in his mid-40s. And uh, he came to a crossroads in his life. He was radically converted earlier. He was asked to be the bishop, a bishop of the Church of Rome. And um, he, he did what would be called a fourth step in AA circles today. He took a fearless inventory of his life. 
He didn't just do that, though. He went on and wrote it. And it's called the classic work, Confessions, Augustine's Confessions. And, and he declares in this book the, the, the things of his heart and flesh that, that just were a, a, an abomination against God. He has two sections. One of, them is called, uh, one of them is called the pride of life and the other the dangers of praise. The dangers of praise. He says this, the temptation to be feared or loved for no other reason than the joy derived from such power. Can you imagine? I never think power being associated with that. He says the danger from that is such a wretched vanity. In my life, he says, and the main cause of which I fail to love God in purity. He says at another point, I cannot pretend I am not pleased by praise. But I am more delighted to have declared the truth than to be praised for declaring it. Gordon MacDonald wrote this. He says, No Christ-following man or woman can feel confident that they are growing if they're not living in perpetual repentance with a holy sorrow that acknowledges that apart from the power and the grace of Christ, we will succumb to the evil that abides within us and around us until the day Christ returns. Friends, I'd like to conclude our, our service today with a song if my voice will allow me to. And um, I'm going to get Pastor Kevin and Pastor Doug and, and Jana and Mark to come up. And the song that uh, we're going to sing, we'll invite you to join us at the end. The song, um, along with the prayer and the words, is, is meant to kind of be an authentic reflection of our hearts. So what I'd like us to be able to do is I'd like you to listen to the words of the song and the prayer, and uh, I trust that it will be resonating with your heart so that you're in this sort of mode of confession as well. And uh, may God God bless it. I am weak. But thou art strong Jesus keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long As to Thee, just a closer walk with Thee, granted Jesus is my plea. that we were created for a joyful life abiding in you but we confess that we often settle for so much less instead of delighting in you we look for fulfillment everywhere else 
We run after material things. We idolize sensual pleasure. And we give ourselves to worldly success in order to find life. We confess that we often do not trust you to be enough for us. So we chase after foolish things that leave us feeling empty inside. Please forgive us and help us to find our joy in you. world of toil and sense. If I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but Thee, dear Lord, none but Thee. Just a Closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Jesus. Forgive us for caring more about what people think than about what you think. You spend so much time just trying to get people to like us. We pour so much effort into our reputation and the impression that people have of us. We live like our worth depends on how other people see us, and we have forgotten that our worth can only be found in you. We have made an idol out of acceptance from others. Please forgive us and help us to rest in the abundance of your love for us. When my feeble life is o'er, time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely Jesus is my plea, daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Jesus, forgive us for our apathy. With our mouths we acknowledge that You have granted us unthinkable mercy, yet daily we do not show that we are amazed to have received it. Daily we disregard the precious treasure that you are. Each day we take you for granted and miss the opportunities to celebrate and worship you in wonder. Please forgive us and awaken us to live lives of joyful gratitude. Just a closer walk with thee. Jesus is my plea, daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. I invite you to join us and stand and 
then Alf Bell's going to come and give the benediction afterwards. Sing the first verse and then the chorus. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to is my plea daily walking close to thee let it be dear Lord let it be let it be dear Lord let it be it was no mistake this morning that first two songs were led by the children and our hearts were pulled to God and there's no mistake in any of our hearts when we think what we are and who we are become their legacy and since I've thought about that for myself two concepts in scripture burn and burn and burn in my soul. One is the concept of the hardness of heart. Times when I take God for granted, I take church for granted, I take prayer for granted, and I'm not connecting. And the other, at first a scary thought, but as God older, a wonderful thought. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh God, I pray. Oh God, I pray. Don't let us as a congregation become hard-hearted like the children of Israel and wander in the wilderness suffering and leaving our children an empty desert as a legacy. And may we so draw close to you and your might and your glory and your perfection and your purity that we bow in holy fear in a way that leads us to wisdom this year as we seek to discern what you want us to be. Amen.